kind of the big picture. We're taking like a taking a plane basically and going up and looking down on the big story of God. And so the meta narrative is called the big story. So we started in Genesis. We went through the pursuit and we saw how God is desperately pursuing his glory through pursuing his people. And if you read the Bible, and I said this a few weeks ago or maybe last week, but if you read the Bible, you get to a point at the end of the Old Testament and it becomes insanely almost depressing because these people are in captivity and then they repent and then they start worshiping idols again and then they're in captivity again. And the prophet Malachi is the last is whoa, hey, is the last is the last book in the Old Testament. And then it ends. So for 400 years, there's nothing. There's there's not a prophecy. There's not anybody saying anything about God to God's people. In fact, the temple, I said this last week, because they put pagan idols in the temple in Jerusalem, the, the Shekinah glory, which is the manifest glory of God, like it left the temple. So for 400 years, there's no presence of God. And they become desperate. And then when you get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's set up in such a way that it's this hopeful thing that it's like, I just don't know, I don't know, like, and I talked about this a few weeks ago, but if, if you've ever wanted something so bad that you've been waiting on it and waiting on it and waiting on it and waiting on it. Like you're engaged to be married and you can't wait for that day. When you get to the Gospels, the way the Bible is set up, that you should get to the Gospels and go, yes, he's here. But he hasn't come in the way that we thought he would come. The Hebrew people were looking for a Messiah to come, and they were looking for a guy who would come and deliver them from captivity. He would be a military leader. He would be a king who would set up his dominion and have a throne, and he would rule with an iron scepter. And he came as a baby. And the first people that knew about it were a bunch of shepherds that nobody cared about on the backside of a mountain. He didn't come like everybody thought he would come. And we're going to dive into the book of John, and we're going to talk about Jesus for the next couple months, really. This month, we're kind of in a series called Incarnate. And then after next, this month, we're going to go into a series called Controversial Jesus. And basically, I've come to this realization. And I came to it when I was working at American Eagle in seminary. You probably heard me talk about that. But I was working at American Eagle, and I was the only Christ follower there. There were a bunch of people there who'd been around church, they'd been around Jesus, they'd heard about Jesus, but they had a rejection of Jesus. And what I began to figure out is as I talked to them more and more, I realized that they had not rejected the Jesus of the Bible. That they had rejected the Jesus of our pop culture. They had rejected the Jesus of our Western Americanized Christianity, our version of Jesus, because we have this Jesus. And so what we're going to do over the next couple months is, is something that I did in college. After growing up in church almost all my life, like my diapers were changed in the nursery, and all of you, some of you have been there. You know that. I had every T-shirt from every camp, and, and like all the old ladies knew my name, and they knew what I did, and they'd be like, when I'm 16, they're like, oh, remember that time I changed your diaper? And I'm like, thanks. My girlfriend's standing here. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> so I grew up around this Jesus kind of culture. But when I was in college, I began to ask some questions about my faith, not doubting my faith, but going, how am I going to own this? So here's what I did when I was in college. I sat down one day and I said, I'm going to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I'm, as best as possible, and this is almost impossible, but as best as possible, I'm going to read it like I have never read it before. And what I want to do is I want to reintroduce myself to Jesus. Not the Jesus that is floating around and has blonde straight hair and has a British accent. I don't know how that guy got to the Middle East. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those guys in the movies are like, oh. And I'm like, he's got blonde hair and it's straight. We, uh, we took this Jesus film to China this summer, and it was the craziest thing because, number one, he's speaking Chinese, which is kind of cool. But, but he was this obvious British guy, 
And um, everybody else had like jacked up hair, like you lived in middle the Middle East, you know, like and you didn't have blow dryers and and, and straighteners, okay? The Jesus though steps out, and dude, his hair was Mac Daddy, right? It was like straight, and he's like, oh, disciples, follow me, and they're all like jacked up, but he's like perfect. I'm like, dude, that is not Jesus. So we have these kind of messed up views of Jesus, right? And Olivia's done a great job behind me of kind of depicting what our culture thinks about Jesus. Jesus is our homeboy. Jesus is somebody that's up in the sky that's really mad at us. Jesus is somebody that's just a super nice, sweet guy. He, he, he like floated around. He didn't walk. He floated places, and he drank lattes, and he had a lot of really cool, pithy, zen statements, right? No, that's not Jesus. Jesus was the Son of God who came to introduce the kingdom of God, and he did that by dying on the cross brutally for us. That's Jesus. So we're going to, the next few months, maybe rediscover Jesus a little bit. So we're going to start in the book of John, and uh, we'll read here together. And if you've got your Bibles, read with me verse 1, John chapter 1. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, hold your place there, because I want to explain something that's going on here. Anytime right here where it says Word, it's actually a word called Logos. Everybody just repeat after me, Logos. Logos. This is the word Logos. So when he's saying this, John is doing an amazing thing. If you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I love it when people, I love it when people come that don't like read the Bible, but they want to like argue the Bible. I'm like, let's go chapter verse. Come on. But they're like, well, I heard somewhere in the Bible that I'm like, nope, let's go chapter verse. Not, not you heard somewhere. Let's go chapter verse. But what people do a lot with the Gospels is they'll say, well, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they, they all say contradictory things, and they don't even tell the same stories. I'm like, because they're four different people writing to four different audiences. If, we, if you read Matthew, here's what you'll find, is that Matthew is writing to an insanely Jewish audience. That's why he spends his first chapter going through a genealogy. He wants to show the Jewishness of Jesus and all the jacked up people that were in Jesus' Jesus's genealogy. Rahab, a prostitute, by the way. You, you skip over to Mark. His gospel is incredibly short. You skip over to Luke. His gospel is the most detailed gospel. He was actually writing to a guy named Theophilus. Part two of Luke is called Acts, by the way. So the gospels are written from different perspectives. And this is what I always tell people. is It's like if you saw a wreck or an accident, and four of us were around that accident at different corners of the street, and somebody asked us to explain it, you would explain the same accident, but you would get different perspectives. And you may even tell it differently because you had a different audience. You were telling it to somebody that was different, maybe from a different culture or a different background. So John is writing his gospel to Jews and to Greeks. And John is a genius, man. The way he lays this out is genius. Now, in Luke... We have the only really full kind of birth narrative of Jesus. We know it pretty, pretty well. It's the one that they read on the Charlie Brown Christmas show, you know, and we know it really well. You know, there was a census. Uh, Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. There was a baby born. Angels come in. We know that. But John gives us a different perspective on the incarnation. To incarnate something means to literally put flesh on it. And so as we talk about the incarnation, we're talking about God with flesh on. He is, he is becoming flesh to us. So you can touch him and laugh with him and talk to him. That's Jesus. He's God. And so John gives us this heavenly kind of picture. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Anytime you can circle it, you can underline it, you can write this beside it. Anytime John says Word right here, all throughout this passage, it is actually a Greek word called logos. This is going to be on the screen for you. I want to kind of define some stuff before we get going so it'll help you. Logos was a Greek word, and here's what logos meant. Logos meant the reason 
or the purpose or the force behind everything. The reason, the purpose, the force behind everything. So if you've ever heard anybody say, you know what? We were meant to be together. Some of y'all in this room, you feel like you're, you're meant to be together, right? You may have even said this before. It's just our fate. It's our destiny. Anybody who's ever said that is going back to this idea of Logos because it was from a guy named Heraclitus. That's a really awesome name. I'm going to name my son that someday. <laughs> Greek philosopher, guy named Heraclitus, came up with this idea. Because even in Greek philosophy, they would sit around with their togas on and their Zen stuff going on. They're like, how do we understand the meaning of life? Well, Heraclitus came back and he basically said this. He said, as much as you want to philosophize, just made that word up, um, as much as you want to philosophize about life, it all comes back to this thing called the Logos. And here's what he thought. He thought that everything found its origin, its purpose, its meaning, its reason in this thing called the Logos. But for them... It was an impersonal force, just like destiny is an impersonal force, just like fate is an impersonal force. So for the Greeks, the logos was an impersonal force. So when he uses logos, he's speaking to the Greeks. But then he also kind of does a play on words, and he's, he's saying basically the word, but he's using the word logos for the word. And for Hebrew people, the word was huge. The word came out of the mouth of God. Genesis 1, every time God created something, he did it with the word. So for Jewish people, this word isn't impersonal. It's coming from the mouth of God. It's spoken from God. It's powerful. It's the agent of creation in the Bible. So you've got logos and you have word, and, and John is masterfully speaking to both Hebrew people and Greek people. And so here's what he says. He says, in the beginning was the logos, the word. So Greek people, Hebrew people, they're jiving with John. Okay, yeah, that's cool. We're down with you. We got that. But then he departs very quickly for both of them. And he says this, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So he says this Logos was with God, and it was God. A couple things going on here. The first thing is this, is that when he says the Logos was with God, he is talking about Jesus. How do I know that? Well, skip down to the, the bottom part of this passage. Look at verse 16. From the fullness we all have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. So he's talking about Jesus. When he talks about the Logos, he's talking about Jesus. So we just kind of all get on the same page there. So he says this Logos, or Jesus, is with God, and he is God. So he's introducing this whole idea of the Trinity. And, and this is really difficult because all of, our, all of our illustrations for the Trinity break down. You ever heard of the illustration where someone says, well, it's kind of like, like you have an ice cube, and then there's vapor, and then there's water. Anybody ever heard that before? Horrible illustration for the Trinity. Because it's not ice and vapor and water all at the same time. Jesus is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all at the same time. We don't even have an illustration that, that communicates that God is so big. All of our illustrations are finite. He is infinite. And so here's what he does. He says this word, this Jesus, this Logos is with God and he was God in the beginning. Now, this is really cool because if you go back to Genesis 1, and you, you don't have to go there, but you can go there tonight. This sounds a lot like Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. But now John's given us a picture of who was creating. In the beginning was the Logos, was Jesus, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here's a couple things that come out of this. Is that Jesus, or the Logos, or the Word, has always been. 
See, before we can really start talking about how Jesus applies to our life, we have to have a little thing called Christology, correct? Everybody say Christology. Christology, Christology matters. You may not know what Christology is. Um, it's not like crystals and worshiping that. Um, it is your study of, your knowledge of, your thoughts on Jesus. And a lot of people have a lot of messed up Christology. They have a lot of messed up thoughts on Jesus. So if you hear your Mormon friends come and knock on your door, they say, we would like to tell you about Jesus Christ. Here's what you need to know. They don't believe the Jesus of this. They don't believe what I'm about to tell you. They believe that Jesus was a created being. John 1 tells us this. The beginning, the Logos, Jesus, was with God and he was God. He was there in the beginning. And it's an eternal thing. He's always been with him. And in the Greek, this is basically um, in the tense that basically is ongoing. So he's always been ongoing with the Father. Jesus has been. Sometimes we think about Jesus and we go, okay, well, on Christmas morning, December 25th, which, by the way, Jesus was probably born in the spring. We just celebrate it now. But on December 24th, 25th, when Jesus was born, that's when Jesus kind of came into being. No, that's when the incarnation happened. But this says this, from all the way back in the beginning, before we can even think, at the creation moment, when, when God was making the world, and he was making the animals, and he was separating the sky and the sea and all that stuff, Jesus was there. And check this out. The Logos, I <laughs> love this, was the creative force. Look at what it says. It keeps on going. It says this, verse 2. He was in the beginning with God, and all things, verse 3, were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So here's the second thing about this Logos. The Logos has always existed, but the Logos also is this creative power. If you got your Bible, go to the book of Colossians real quick. Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes something similar here for us in Colossians chapter 1 because he wants us to grasp that Jesus was there at creation. He wasn't created, and everything was made by Jesus and for Jesus. Check this out. He's talking about Christ. Verse 15, chapter 1 of Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Here's what he's saying there. He's like, there's not a king that trumps Jesus. He's king of kings, because he created all the rulers and the authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So that goes back to John chapter 1. He's saying Jesus was in the beginning. He wasn't created. In fact, he wasn't created. He was the one who created everything. Colossians 1. All things were made by him. And I love the second part. Because it gives us purpose. And for him. You were created by Jesus. And you were created for Jesus. You were created by the Son of God, and you were created for the Son of God. You were created by the Son of God to live a life that would glorify God and know Jesus. Here's what we're going to see in a minute, is you can't know God without knowing Jesus. So he continues on. He says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then this Word is creating everything that we see. And he says there was nothing that was made that was not made by Jesus. And here's the crazy thing, is that we look at this, and it seems real kind of, abstract. But then when you go outside, I want you to think about this when you kind of leave here. You start to see all of the creation, and you begin to realize that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, pre-incarnate, was the creator of all things. He was not created. He was with God, and he is God. Then it keeps on going, and it says this, verse 4. It says, in him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here's what he said. He said so far that this Logos, or this Jesus, has always existed. This Logos is this creative power. He creates everything, and he does it for himself. He does it for his glory, right? He does it so he can get glory. You're created for Jesus and by Jesus. But then he says something else. He says that this Logos is light, and it's life. It's life, and it's light. I love this because here's basically what John is saying. He's saying, because he's the creator of all things, everything has a source. Like, for instance, you have a birthday. My birthday is March 4th. I accept Starbucks gift cards, so just know that. (laughs) I have a birthday. You have a birthday. Everything has a source, a moment of origination. The Logos, Jesus, has no moment of origination because he's the one that gives life. So I love this. Jesus, the Logos, is self-sufficient. I don't know if you've ever met anybody who's self-sufficient. I've met some people who think that they're self-sufficient, but nobody who's actually self-sufficient. Like, meaning this. If you're self-sufficient, that means you need food from no one, you need money from no one, you need clothing from no one, you need no shelter, you need, you need nothing. You're self-sufficient. You don't, you, you don't even need life. Life is within you. This is what John is saying. This Logos, this impersonal thing that they thought was just this very impersonal kind of reason for everything is actually Jesus, and in Jesus is wrapped up all of life. And the word here for life in the Greek is a word called zoe. It's a word for spiritual life. In Jesus is all life. It's interesting to me that a lot of people try to find life in a lot of things. Because we were made... To know Jesus. Remember, going back to what I just said, we were made by him and for him, so we're made to know Jesus. So it makes sense that from the moment we're born and all people are born, they crave this life that Jesus has, but they don't know how to get it. So they party. They try drugs. They get into relationships. They try sex. Some of them don't go that route. Some people go the money route. Say, if I can make a lot of money, then I'll have my purpose and I'll have life. If I can have the right job and have the right status, I'll have life. So we try all these things to get this life because we crave it. It is in our souls. We were made for eternity. And the reason is because you were made by Jesus and for Jesus. And here's what John said. He, Jesus, he, the Logos, is life. He is the Zoe. He is the spiritual life. And if you don't have the spiritual life, then you don't have life. And you can only find the spiritual life in Jesus, the Word, the Logos. You've got to come to Him to have true life. Because what you and I both know is that there are people who are existing. They go from hour to hour, to test to test, to job to job, to thing to thing. And they've got a calendar, and they've got stuff to do. And they're living life. <coughs> but you look in their eyes, and you listen to what they talk about. They don't have life, not Zoe life. And then it says that he was not only life, but he was the light of men. Look at what it says here. It says that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. If you're walking in the woods, if you're walking in the woods, and all of a sudden a spotlight shines down on you and engulfs you, and you can't really run anywhere, that's either a good thing or a bad thing. It's a bad thing if you're a criminal and you're on the run. You just got found, right? It's a good thing if you are lost in the woods and you would like to go home. It's a good thing. 
Here's what John says. He says, this Jesus, this Logos gives light, but he gives life, and this life is the light of man. So when he enters into the world, if you'll keep reading with me, you'll kind of see what happens. Verse 5 says this, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Look at verse 9. We'll skip down a little bit. It says, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. So here's what John is saying, is when this light, Jesus, shines on some people, they gravitate towards it because they know they need it. And then some people, they hate it. It says that he came into the world, and his own did not receive him. He's talking about the Jewish people specifically, but he's also talking about all the world. So as we think about Jesus being this existing, always creator, God, he is God. He is the Logos. He's the reason for all things. All things were made for him. All things were made by him. Then this is our Christology. We've kind of laid out some theology, but let me get just real practical with you for a second because John starts to get real practical as he walks through this. There's response to the Logos. Watch what he says here. Look at, look at verse um, 6 with me. He says this. There was a man sent from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to bear, light, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light. Circle that, underline that, highlight that, whatever. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And then, as I just read a minute ago, it says that the light came to its own, but its own did not receive him. There are two responses that we can have to this Logos. There are two responses that our culture, our world has to the Logos Jesus. Here's the first response. Recognize Jesus to be God and worship him with everything and point people to him. See, here's the crazy thing about John. John, I just, there's people I want to meet when I get to heaven. Y'all have people you want to meet when you get to heaven? Like you just want to sit down and have a conversation with them? Like people from the Bible. Like I want, I want to talk to Noah, first of all. Just be like, dude, you are, you're a beast, number one. You built a boat for 120 years. You're the man. Without a Lowe's or a Home Depot, you're the man. <laughs> secondly, secondly, I'd like to talk to Paul and be like, can I just talk to you about Romans for a minute? Can I just get in your head for a second about that book called that little book you wrote called Romans? But, but I want to sit down and I want to see, I want to meet. Maybe just want to observe John the Baptist. This guy was a freak show. Okay, he's Jesus's cousin. He's in the wilderness, man. He's like on the on a shore. He's half naked. He's eating grasshoppers. And, and anytime you see in a Jesus movie, you see John the Baptist. This is the funny thing to me is Jesus always has straight hair and he's like, oh, and John the Baptist is like a wildebeest. Like, he's like, bro, let him borrow your hair straightener, okay? He's your cousin. Like, give some love to your cousin, man. Jesus has nice robes. John's like wearing a loincloth. He's like, I don't care, man. Repent. The kingdom's near, dude. He's right there. So John's this crazy guy, man, and he comes out of his mother's womb, and he's screaming, Repent! The kingdom's near! Repent! And his mom's probably like, freak show kid. And here's what John said. This guy named John, he was the precursor to the light. See, what John could have done, because he was the cousin of Jesus, and man, people were coming up to John. We know this historically. We know this biblically. John had a lot of followers. He was baptizing people every day. They were joining kind of his following, but his deal was not him. His deal was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he said, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Don't follow me anymore. Follow him. And some of his followers had a problem with that. And it ended up, John was put in prison, and he got his head cut off. 
Yay for following Jesus. Sometimes it'll land you where you don't want to go. Sometimes it'll take you where you don't want to go, but it's for Christ. So John had a following. It would have been really easy for John to go like, dude, I love this, man. I got people. I'm baptizing people like crazy. And there were a lot of people who had little followings. But John had a following, man. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, it could have been really easy for John to go, no, these are my people, right? Even some of John's own followers went to Jesus when John was in jail and asked him some questions. Are you really the son of God? Are you really the one John's been telling us about? Because we'll follow you, but we're not ready to bail on John because we love John. John said, you need to follow Jesus, not me. I like going to concerts. I don't get to go to as many anymore, but I like going. You know, when you go to a concert, there's always an opening band, and then there's the band. If you go to U2 concert, it's Muse, and then it's U2. Usually the opening band's kind of like, eh. Like, I'll go get Chinese food and miss the opening band and go hear the real band. But if you're going to U2 concert, it's like, Muse is pretty good. But they're not as good as U2. I went to see Mute Math one time, one of my favorite bands. Some of y'all know Mute Math. Four opening bands, all of them were horrible. <laughs> I was standing there going, dude, I'm, I could have eaten. Like, I didn't eat because we got there early to stand in line so we could be at the front of the stage and experience the fullness of Mute Math. Four opening bands, horrible, 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 horrible. Well, John, in many ways, is the opening band to Jesus. The opening band is supposed to stand up, play a couple songs. People are like, oh, that's awesome. Okay, give us the real deal. That was John. And he could have stolen the glory for himself, but here's what John did. Look what it says. Verse 8. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. You can steal glory from God. You are not the light. You are not preeminent. You have not always existed. You did not create the world. Everything was not made by you and for you. But sometimes we like to steal glory from God. Or you can have the response of John, and it's to point people to Christ with your life. And it says this, verse 9, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. This is crazy. I want you to get how crazy this is for a second. The world was made by him. He comes into this world that he made. I mean, he made it all. He made the wood. He made the people. He made the grass. He made all of it. And he comes into this world. Could you imagine creating something, those of you who are really creative, and then stepping into your creation and going, I made you. You exist because of me. And they all go, you're stupid. But here's Jesus, not coming the way they thought he would come. From a little town called Nazareth, and there was a motto back then. Can anything good come from Nazareth? I want you to think of the most hick town that you have ever been to. <laughs> For me, it's Sweetwater, Tennessee. And it's a place where guys chew tobacco and they hang out with their uncle slash dad. <laughs> and they think pro wrestling is real. Okay, <laughs> That's Nazareth. It is a hick Israeli town. And that's where Jesus came from. Everything about Jesus coming is not kingly. It's not stately. It's not nice. So everybody looked at him, and as I said when we talked about Isaiah 53, he was rejected by men. He came to his own creation. His creation did not accept him. And it's still like that today. Can you imagine the craziness that Jesus is there and he's going, I made you. And yet you spit at me. 
I made you. And yet you stand here and reject me. Can you think about Jesus on the cross? I made you. I made this wood that I'm on. I made these nails that are going through my hands and feet. I made this. And yet you reject me. You can either point to the light with your life, or you can be an idolater and worship yourself and point to yourself all the days of your life. Or you can point to Jesus, like John did. Say, I'm not the man, but I know the man that made me, and I want to point with him to him with my life. A lot of people say a lot of things about Jesus, and we're almost done here, but I, I want to kind of walk through a couple things. A lot of people say that Jesus was not God or that Jesus did not claim to be God, but there are going to be a couple things on the screen here that Jesus said about himself when it comes to his divinity. Next week we'll talk about his humanity, but we're talking about his divinity. Jesus said this in John 6.38. You can write this stuff down. You probably don't have time to turn there. Jesus said he had come down from heaven. He said, I came from heaven. He said that in John 6.38. In Mark 10, 17-18, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks him a question, he calls him a good teacher. And Jesus looks at him and says, why do you call me good? Only God is good, and you are right to call me good. Basically, he was saying, I'm more than just a good man, I'm God. He said all throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that he called himself this phrase called the Son of Man. The Son of Man, if you read the book of Daniel, is a prophecy about the Messiah who will come down from heaven and he will be the Son of Man. So when Jesus is calling himself the Son of Man over and over and over to the rabbis and the Pharisees, he's basically saying, hey, I am the Messiah. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the one that you read about in Daniel. I'm God. He performed miracles. John 8, 46, Jesus claimed to be sinless. He said, I've never sinned. I have not sinned. Luke 7, 48 he, he heals someone, and then he forgives sin. So Jesus is walking around not only claiming to be sinless, but he's forgiving people's sin. Only God can forgive people's sin. John 15, 16, he taught people to pray to God in his name, Jesus. He's looking at the disciples going, hey, when you pray, I want you to pray and ask for things in my name, because I'm the way to God. He said in John 14, 6, pretty familiar verse, he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is saying, I am the only way to God. But then he said this. If you've got your Bible, go to the book of John. Go to John chapter 8, and we'll be done with this. I love this verse. John chapter 8, and we'll look at uh, verse 58. John chapter 8, 58 and 59. Kind of set this up for you. Some of the Pharisees are questioning Jesus. He begins to talk to him, talk to them about Abraham. And uh, we'll, let's pick it up in verse 52, actually. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? They're asking Jesus, Who are you? You say you're greater than Abraham, but Abraham was the man. I love Jesus. Here's what he says. Jesus answered, verse 54, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Basically, my Father is attesting to the fact that I'm the Son of God, of whom you say He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. He's looking at the Pharisees going, You don't know God. That is a slap in the face. <laughs> I know him. If I were to say, 
that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? Here's what they're saying. You are 33 years old. How were you there and saw Abraham? How did you see Abraham? I love this about Jesus. He's about to rock the world. Here's what he says. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. If you read the book of Exodus, when God speaks to Moses and Moses said, who do I tell him sent me? He says, just tell him that I am sent you. I am. The Hebrew people would have known the phrase I am as a word for God. And here's what they're saying. They're saying, how have you seen Abraham? How did you even know that Abraham existed? How do you tell us all this stuff about Abraham? And Jesus goes, he looks at all those Pharisees and he goes, because before Abraham existed, I am. Jesus, right there in that moment, claimed to be God. And here's what some people say about Jesus. They say, well, Jesus didn't claim to be God. He died because they, you know, he didn't smell good or something. You know, People say all kinds of things about why Jesus died. And a lot of people say Jesus never claimed to be God. Right here in John 8, he's saying, <laughs> I am. I am God. But some people deny that he's God. C.S. Lewis said something that's pretty awesome that I think kind of gets to the heart of this whole matter with Jesus and his divinity. and C.S. Lewis says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. Like, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher, he would be a lunatic. <coughs> On the level with a man who says he's like a poached egg, or else he would be a devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. So you can shut him up as a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, neither did he intend to. Jesus never left it open for us to think that he was a great moral teacher. If Jesus was a good teacher, and that's all he was, then he was a raving lunatic, <coughs> and he was a liar, because he told people he was God. And by my estimation, good teachers don't lie to their students. Or he was just absolutely crazy, and he really did think he was God, but he wasn't God. Or what we know and have come to believe is that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is a pre-existent Logos. He created all things by himself, for himself. He is God. Two points of application, and we're done. As we think about Jesus being divine, and next week we're going to talk about the humanity of Jesus and what it means for Jesus to take on flesh, to become flesh. But as we think about Jesus being divine, if you're a believer in here tonight, let me challenge you with this. Have your affection stirred for Jesus to the point that you're like John the Baptist going, I am not the light, obviously, but I want to live my life so that I point to the light. And if you're not a believer in here tonight, if you don't know Christ, the Bible's very clear. You cannot love God, worship God, please God, unless you come through Jesus. Jesus is the way to God because he is God. So my challenge to you tonight, if you're not a Christian, a Christ follower, is follow Christ, accept Christ. Follow him all the days of your life and live like John the Baptist, as crazy as it may be. Point to the light because you are not the light. So here's what we're going to do. Zach and the guys are going to come up and we're going to worship Jesus.
We're going to worship the Son of God who is God but became flesh and dwelt among us. Next week we're going to talk about His humanity, what it means for Him to be human and be God at the same time and how that all works out. Let's pray. God, we worship you tonight. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that after 400 years of silence, that John the Baptist came on the scene proclaiming that you were coming, and then you came. And you didn't come like everybody thought you would come, with a lot of splendor and a lot of attention. You came as a baby from a very small hick town, born in a manger and a feeding trough. Because in many ways you want to identify with us, people. And Father, tonight we recognize that you, Jesus, you are God. And you deserve our lives. And you deserve our worship. And so God, as a people, would we point to the word? And in many ways, God, would we be little w words, God? People walking around, always pointing to, always giving <coughs> testimony about you, Jesus, the word, the logos. Because we were made for you, by you. So, Father, we love you tonight. We want to worship you. We love you, Jesus. Let's worship.